0: Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking politics and discipleship. Check it out. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. We're back. We're, we're, we're glad to be here.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting season of life, and it's been quite the year. But yes, uh, we're still standing. We're still standing. Well, we're seated right now, but
0: you and I are um, are 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 here together in person. Our friendship has not at all suffered from Corona. Maybe some would say it's been strengthened.
1: Mm-hmm. We have spent much more time together, at least on Fortnite.
0: Yes, we have a lot of, a lot of time together. And...
1: You know, I don't think I ever would have started Fortnite, playing Fortnite if it wasn't for coronavirus. That's true. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you think there are things, obviously everything affects everything, but there are things in our lives. Like my, my one daughter never would have started learning guitar if it wasn't for coronavirus and yeah and um you know there's lots of things that affect it affected the timing of my one daughter's surgery i mean just like the right. the ripple effects and of course it's affected families in very more a much more profound and tragic ways as well too of course
0: right but um 20- you, you never would have watched the countless hours of netflix that you watched <laughs> no i probably still would have <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is doesn't doesn't the show Tiger King feel like a lifetime ago? Oh man, I missed Tiger King. That was like what got everybody
0: through the first, you know, like
1: eighteen hours of of quarantine. It It
0: was like, hey, life, come on guys, it's okay. We're all in this. That's what we need right now to unify our country. We need another Tiger King that we can all unite around and like this is a crazy show that's awesome. And did Carol Baskin kill her husband? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that's what we need. If you haven't seen it, go watch Tiger King* on Netflix. You're missing out.
1: It's quite the show. It's quite the show, but it
0: doesn't feel like,
1: it doesn't even feel like it was just whatever.
0: No, Seven it doesn't. Feels it feels so long ago. ago. Well, I am a happy camper today. I have something to celebrate despite all the chaos, and that is that this morning, uh, you and I met up at Starbucks, and they are now serving my favorite blend of coffee that they serve, which I know is also your wife's favorite. Is it the Christmas Christmas blend? Yeah, it's I thought here. you were going
1: to go a different direction because I know you also had a very significant community start, uh, like a uh, sort of like I'm a part of the community moment. Do you want to tell our oh, listeners about that?
0: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so we're I was sitting at Starbucks and I did a mobile order because the line was pretty crazy. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the, the Starbucks employee says, looks over at me and says, hey, Jared, we've got your order, <laughs> which often happens to you. But it's never happened to me.
1: Yeah. Well, my wife and I share a Starbucks app. So for the longest time, they would call me by her name, Aaron, which can also be a, right. a, a guy's name. So I eventually had to say, you know, that's actually my wife's name. My name's David. And, yeah. And so now most of them call me David. But every now
0: and then new one, a new person in there will still call me Aaron. So that means we've both spent a ridiculous amount of money at Starbucks that We're, they've learned it's our just names. just living on mission. Living on mission. Just getting
1: entrenched in the community, being Although known people. Although I don't people.
0: know their name. So oh, I,
1: see, I've had great conversations with some of them, so you gotta catch up.
0: <laughs> I do, I do. Well, I'm excited to have our conversation today. I, I honestly feel like of all the stuff we and we've talked about a lot of things that I think are important, but the timeliness of the conversation that we're gonna have today I think is really important. And um I've been this this weekend I was traveling and speaking to some different leaders and of course about what's happening in your country with the election and where people stand and um and um and and uh, as I was talking to them, I had mentioned that you and I are going to do this podcast. And it was interesting hearing their feedback. They're like, wow, that we really need you guys. That would be a great topic to cover. Hmm. Um, because all over our churches right now, it's filled with people. Well, not probably not every church, maybe some church the majority of people lean one way or the other. But in a lot of churches, there are people that are. Either super excited right now about the the potential looks like of Biden and Harris being the the next president and Trump being out, mm-hmm. or they're super crushed and angry and don't know what to think right now about what's happening in the election. But either way, right, it's it's this incredibly polarizing, divisive um, event, and we've seen leading up to leading up to the election. Um, well, let me ask you this: like, what have you seen leading up to the election now in? in the Christian community um, as people who have different views are interacting with each other. Like for you, what's mm-hmm. been, what's been your observation of that? Well, what's interesting
1: is, is, is both sides. And it is unfortunate that it is kind of a both sides conversation. Obviously we have this partisan political system and, but both sides um, actually claim the moral high ground in this election. Right? So you have, um, Democrats who uh, observe Trump's life, the things that he said, the things that he's done, the things he's been accused of, the way he treats people, the way he conducts himself as a leader, um, and the way that they perceive—and I'll use the word "perceive" a lot because I don't want to state things to be—because everything's perception at this point, right? Right. But there's a perception that the Republican Party is very much the the wealth, the wealthy get wealthier, the strong get stronger, devour the weak. No real concern for. Um, the poor, for refugees, immigrants, outsiders, and for people um, of color, for women, right? There's, so there's this, there's that narrative, and right. and um and they have some compelling uh, evidence and uh, some track record that they use to strengthen their narrative, right? Then on the other side, um, the Republicans, the conservatives, look at some of the platforms, um, some of the policies of the Democrat Party, some of the moral issues. Um and they also feel like there's an immoral an issue of immorality in the way that their policies are reflected specifically in the sanctity of life and, and issues like that. And so um I saw on the heels of the election um both sides claiming um well, even going into the election, both sides are somewhat convinced that God is on their side, right? And, um, so, or or if
0: not God, at least objective morality is on their side. Sure. Yeah. You know,
1: um, but some people thanking God for what's happened. Some people asking God, how did you let this happen? Right. Right. And and so there is some of that. And, and I know people are just expressing their emotions and rejoice. Some are celebrating and some are grieving. And, um, but what's interesting is both sides really genuinely believe that their stance and their view is morally superior to the other yeah and that creates a really challenging dynamic for healthy conversation, right and for open thinking, you know? yeah
0: yeah, no, I think you're totally right and um, and that's that's some of the problem when everything becomes so black and white, and I don't mean that color wise, racial wise meaning like it's either this or that we we've We forgot how nuanced so many of these things are, who you vote for. Is a is a for most people, it's a very in-depth, nuanced, um, detailed, multifaceted decision. It's not just this or that. And that, but that's tends to be how we break it down. And so when we're having a conversation with people, we're thinking about people, it's easy to just go, who'd you vote for? What part are you? Oh, you're Democrat or oh, you're Republican. Okay, then then I now I've boxed you in nice and tidy. And I've determined this is who you are. This is the type of person you are. This is your morality. And therefore, this is your value and worth. And now I can just dismiss you as this type of person. And I don't need to engage in conversation with you or take the time or even think about what you have to say. Um, and that's that's part of the problem. Yeah, it's a real danger. And I think because an election is a win-lose
1: proposition— and at the end of the day, you want your side to win. Um, sometimes um, th- you fall into the trap of thinking, because I agree with this particular view of this specific party, I need to defend all of what they stand for and attack all of what the other party stands for. And I think a thoughtful way forward is to be able to identify kingdom values things that we think are um, in line with biblical ethics, with the ethics of Jesus, um, in a bipartisan way. And even that statement would be offensive to some people would say, well, the other party has nothing that reflects the ethic of Jesus. And I I just think you have to be a little more thoughtful and nuanced, because these parties that exist have not been determined and shaped by, um, specifically by, you know, They've been determined and shaped by human beings who are sinful, broken, fallen, and we see that, of course, a lot in politics, but um, there is not one side that is sacred, one side that is not—you know, they're not—there's things that we need to be able to observe across the board and say, I can affirm that. Right. I may not even affirm the policies you put in place to accomplish that. Right. Right. But I affirm that value because when I look at the ethics of the kingdom of God and the teachings of Jesus, I think that also does matter, even though that's not the primary or a even maybe in some cases a second or secondary priority of the party that I've just voted for.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I've got two questions for you. The first is this. It feels to me like this is a listening issue where we are terrible listeners, and um, I—, I I enjoy listening to some episodes of the Joe Rogan podcast. I know some of you may not be a fan of his. He uses a lot of language and whatever, but one of the things I like about him is that he is a great listener. Hmm. And he has guests from every every side of the aisle. Every like if you listen to him, you're gonna he'll have people you agree with, he disagree with. But he always, no matter what his point of view is, like he always listens to them and tries to pick out and summarize the best part of what their argument is or what he can relate to. And I recently I was thinking about, I was like, man, that's a good quality. Like if we, if we all had that. So when I, if I'm a conservative, I could listen to a Democrat. And when they talk about some of the social programs that they want, I could pick out like, wow, they, so what I hear you saying is like, you really care about people. You want to see people do well. And then maybe I could say, well, what if we did it like this? Right. Versus saying, Right. Oh, are you just totally dismissing them? You just want to spend all our money, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. so the art of the art of picking out what I can relate to in their argument and the best part of the argument versus versus dismissing it so to me this feels like an inability to listen to other people. issue do you, Do you agree with that or yeah we we don't
1: and i think it's a i think it's actually m- broader than that we We don't listen well, and the truth is is none of us can listen to anything throughout a filter. Of our personal experiences, bias, and, and everyth- everything that we've read and experienced up until that given moment, we bring that with us into that next conversation, right? And there's no way around that. We're, we're subjective in nature. Um, but I think it's more than we don't listen well. We, as a people right now, because partly because of social media um, and partly because of the divisiveness of the political season, we don't read well either. So there's been all sorts of research done that proves that people read headlines, not articles. And they read a headline and then they build a narrative. And if the headline um, uh, affirms something they already believe to be true, they use that that isolated headline as a weapon in their own conversations with friends and family and other people. And if the headline doesn't affirm what they believe, then they dismiss it as either being uh, a propaganda pushed by the media, a, a lie, um, an idiot who wrote the article right So there's very little actual th- um, detailed or deep engagement with the other side so to speak perspective and also
0: um, but but th- isn't that do you, isn't it true though that there is clear media bias in all sides so it becomes hard to Yes, it's not hard, not yes. to dismiss, right? You're like, well, that's a left wing, or that's well, a right even, wing, and
1: they don't, even and, and the media outlets don't even hide it right right. anymore. Like, there, it's obvious. You know, where if you want to hear this view, you know what channel to flip to. Exactly. Right? And if you flip between the the headlines of Fox News and the headlines of CNN, it's just unbelievable how different the headlines are, right? And the take on things. And so, yes, that is. I'm not saying that there isn't bias in media. I'm just saying that um, to to start with that as um, Enough of a reason to be able to interpret an article without actually reading it might right. be might be a little
0: bit or, of a shortcoming or, or to to totally dismiss something because it's from this source or that source sure. like maybe we would all be better off if we spent more time um, not dismissing something because we because we think or maybe yeah. even know it has bias but but at least hear the arguments, at least hear the the you know hear the thought. I, and I think I, you know, I believe I've read some articles
1: on the idea that even social media begins to track your biases and your preferences yeah. and your allegiances and alliances, and and then begins to feed you what what they think you'll click on, right? Because yeah. I mean, the the problem is is that media right now, um, in many levels, at many in many cases, measures its success based on clicks and comments. Yeah. And so headlines have to be sensational and yep. opinions have to be strong and things have to be said that will cause some angry person to click on. Or not even an angry person, but just some engaged right. person to comment. And so because that's the reality and because we're sort of being fed, you know, because there's all these sort of um, uh, things behind the scenes that are causing us to keep getting fed the same things we already believe, it just strengthens uh, the walls of the separate sides to such a point where, like that, right. that helpful dialogue, that discourse, is not really—it's—it's um, it's not really happening. Yeah,
0: I think that's actually the the Netflix documentary, the Social Dilemma, is all about that, about how these social media companies and Google and stuff, basically, their job is to all they care about is for you to stay engaged in their platform. Mm-hmm. So they do that by push by offering more and more extreme content that is similar to your interest. So you can imagine the byproduct of that is just always pushing people yeah. to the extremes of their beliefs, which is yeah. not healthy, right? Yes. I'll say one thing more about social
1: media, which is ultimately just a tool which brings out what's already in our hearts. But yeah. it certainly has a way of co- of empowering us to treat people in a way and say things to complete strangers that we would never, for the most part, we would never do in person. Oh, and I yeah. and I think um, and of course COVID has made it hard for us to have meaningful face. So you you got a bit of a perfect storm this year, of course, right? Um, and so uh, you know when you watch people berating each other on Twitter or on Facebook, the truth is is that if you put them uh, across a coffee ta- a table from each other and gave them both a coffee and said just sit down and talk, I I think that they would walk away in a healthier place than they do when they walk away from their screens, right? Yeah, and um and so. You know, that that's, that's another part of the issue is we're isolated, we're opinionated. Social media makes us feel like we're engaging with other people. But it's not a lot of listening going on.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Um, so my next question for you, because I've been thinking about this. Would it be beneficial for pastors? Because we're talking about like the idea, how do we disciple people in the midst of this, what's happening right now? And I kind of wondered the other day, I, I, I know we've talked about before the the importance of pastors not getting political from the pulpit in the sense of endorsing candidates, right? But would it be beneficial for pastors to try to explain to their parishioners some of the connection between the two parties and where, um, and I know this is very subjective, but I wondered if a pastor got up and said, hey guys, here's here's the thing, like, Here's what you have to understand about the people in this church who maybe think differently than you and and try to draw the connecting points. Right. Like you both care about people, but maybe the Republican, the Republicans in the room don't think government is the answer to provide the solutions to people. And maybe our Democrats in the room think that government should hold this. Pr- that doesn't make you enemies like you have. You have some things in common. I, I just wonder sometimes if like yeah. that would be actually helpful to kind of break down some of the typical party um, beliefs and where they have unity so people don't feel like they're enemies with others in the church. And people. I think
1: it's helpful to draw a distinction between principles and policies. Right? Yeah, We can disagree on policies, um, but let's try to find principles that we agree on, specifically biblical principles. What you're describing, doing that specifically from the uh, pulpit or from the stage could it be helpful to some people yes (laughs) and in and in this particular election um i think it it um it could be it could pour gasoline on the fire in some cases uh i i you know every pastor has to decide like um what needs to be said obviously and um you know, I think Ed Stetzer said, "When you mix religion with politics, you get politics." And so, in my in my opportunity to serve at, at the church that I lead at, when I addressed politics in the last few months, it was almost always through the lens of, "Here is what the Scripture says about our hearts, and how much power, how much we crave power, and and how much we love things too much," and often through the the biblical lens of heart idolatry. Um, and understanding that there's a kingdom that we're all a part of, citizens of heaven, before we're citizens of America. And I really, a lot of identity driven conversation. Um, so I think in some circles, what you're describing is being as specific as saying, you know, Democrat, Republican, it, it could work, it could help. I think you got to know your audience. Is it going to help? Is it just going to stir the pot? Right. Um, Is it it an unnecessary stepping on everyone's toes at the same time? Yeah. Um, It just felt so volatile this year. Um, And I definitely probably, out of my personality and based on the church I'm serving in and the community I'm serving in, I probably was more cautious with my language than some pastors might have chosen to be. Yeah. So I'm well, not saying I'm not saying that's wrong what you're suggesting I'm just saying it, it, you know, each pastor needs to sort of decide what's does that make sense
0: for yeah there. yeah and you may be right you may be right I just wonder some because te- people tend to um, stereotype the other side yeah and dismiss them as something that most are not So I just wonder sometimes it'd be helpful to go hey like maybe at the end of the day the big difference between the Republican and the Democrats is one, is um moves towards the idea of a smaller government and more individual freedom and one views the government as having a bigger role in people's lives like that's not a evil versus good thing (laughs) like those are two perspectives and that's okay and and we can have debate about that and what's best but at least that goes stop vilifying everybody right like you can have a political argument as to what system is more beneficial and guess what probably it's somewhere in the middle and there's you know right. but but for a lot of people it's like you're democrat you want to murder babies you're, republican. you're a marxist you're yeah, socialist oh, yeah yeah you're a socialist marxist you want to murder babies you're a republican you um you hate gay people you want guns everywhere and you could care less about anybody except for making money like right. It's like, that's those, not... Yeah. So those are straw man arguments, right? Sort of right. extreme. But the... So,
1: you know, and I'm not really that... You're you're a little more informed on politics than I am. It's not really an area of expertise for me. But that is sort of... Thank you for admitting that. <laughs> that, you know, you guys... I know in your in your house, it's not unusual for the news cable channels to be on. No. In our house, it's not even listed in my favorites. So, like, I don't even <laughs> see them when I'm scrolling through. It's just... I'm just not... I've never been really wired for a huge level of interest in that and it's probably to actually to a fault I probably should be more informed Um, but I think that um, you know the the idea that the way the political parties are set up right now is not you know I listened to a podcast recently on Freakonomics where they were talking about political reform and the possibility of a third party and and they were just making the case that you know the two party system is not actually set up to best serve our people. Like the yeah. two party system is set up to win, to right. defeat the other party. Right. And so you even see you even see uh, presidential candidates shift in their tone from the primary to the election because they're just. They got to win the primary and the way Mm -hmm. to win your from your base, because the people who are most engaged at the base level, actually a very small percentage of Democrats vote in the Democratic primary and same thing with Republican primary. And so but the ones who show up and vote are the ones who are the most passionate, the most engaged, the most fired up. And they tend this is a generalization, but they tend to be the most extreme or on the more extreme side of those political views. So they have to like at the primary level, those candidates have to rally that base so that they can get elected or chosen. To run as that party's primary candidate yeah. for the presidential election, and then they got to draw everybody. Then they got to swing, they gotta swing back towards the middle, right. and, and of course, but nobody forgets anything nowadays. Yeah. Everybody remembers. It can replay what they said, not just during the right. primary, but ten years ago. Now, now with the internet, everybody's held accountable for everything they've ever said, and out of context, it all means something, right? Or yeah. it, you form your own narrative. So. I think part of the challenge is, is, is that because there is such strong language to strengthen the bases, when it comes time for an actual election where you're trying to appeal to the people, um, the sides are—the line's already drawn.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, so for you pastoring people now, um, moving forward, because there's the potential. So where we're at right now when this podcast is released is the networks have declared Biden-Harris— Um, the next president, president elect, president elect. That's not, that doesn't mean it's official yet. And currently the Trump administration has all kinds of lawsuits out. And, and basically there's, it tends to seem like people that are on the Trump side are convinced. um, There's foul play here. The other Mm -hmm. side is not, does not believe that and wants it kind of. So all that to be said, there is potential that things get a lot worse before they get better. (laughs) God help us. That's a very real potential. So, how do we disciple people right now who right now at this moment only feel more inflamed uh, depending on whatever side that they're on? Yeah. Like how do we move forward? How do we disciple? What are, what are the things that we have to do as spiritual leaders? Well,
1: I I think you're right. I hope, but I hope you're wrong um, on things getting worse before they get better. Um, I hope there's some, clarity one way or the other achieved relatively quickly and somewhat convincingly, although I'm not sure it will ever convince, yeah. you know, people who don't like the outcome. Um, and I also think, um, although I do think it's it's intense and it may get more intense, I also think talking, from, talking with you and other friends, there's a little burnout right now, too, amongst people who they're not, it's not that they're giving up, throwing their hands up and saying, I don't care anymore. It's like, how, how long can you sustain this level of angst and agitation and survive. You yeah. know, what is it doing to our souls in the process to have that much of our hearts wrapped up in the outcome of the election of a leader for the next four years, um, who in many ways um, hands are tied by the checks and balances that were written into the way in which our government is structured. Um, so two things I think I... Uh, There's three things I guess I focus on when I think of discipling people, and I'll just give you three words. Kingdom um, would be one word. Uh, Idolatry would be another word, and identity would be a third word. So as a quick summary, kingdom. The kingdom of God is going to advance over the next four years, no matter who is in the White House. And the kingdom of God is much bigger than the American nation, much bigger than a specific political party and i forget the exact location and even the exact details of the parables but there's a parable where jesus talks about how the kingdom grows i think he's talking about how things grow at night and or uh, it w- it was some sort of an agrarian parable where you don't see it growing but it's growing and mm. the kingdom of god is going to continue to advance and and nothing that happens nothing that happened last week and nothing that's going to happen in the next couple of months in any way is going to derail the plans and purposes of god yeah and his kingdom always advances So I shouldn't say it always advances, but you can make an argument from Scripture that it advances best in the margins of society, in the margins of the halls of power, um, in the margins of of, um, influence. And so the idea that a lack of um, having your person in a specific seat of power in some way derails or destroys the ways in which the church will grow and the kingdom of God will advance— doesn't have any real historical evidence, any sort of global evidence, or any sort of biblical evidence. Right. And the kingdom of God also, uh, you know, just read through the Beatitudes, read through Matthew 5, what it means to be a peacemaker, to be poor in spirit, um, to bless those who persecute you. So in the midst of it all, Christians need to remember which kingdom they are yeah. truly a citizen of.
0: And and isn't this an unprecedented opportunity for the church to be the kingdom of God, and in their unity and love for each other, like like we're looking to politicians. Well, Trump didn't help with unity. Biden's going to bring us together. What about the Senate? They need to they they need to work together. In the House, they need to work together to show unity. It's like wh- why would we look to politicians to demonstrate what we as the church? Should, nobody should be doing that better, right? Yeah, that's good. There should be no other place where Democrats and Republicans and independents are going like, yeah, we disagree, but my gosh, we love each other. Yeah. Like we're having dinner together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, D.A. Carson says the church is a band of natural enemies who love each other for Jesus'
1: sake. And I think that's, this is this is an opportunity to be the church, um, to, to, to sit with people who voted differently than you and say I can still stand shoulder to shoulder with you because really our primary... Um, focus and mission in life is the kingdom of God. Um, I know it's complex and nuanced, and, you know, in theory it sounds good. I know it's hard to work out, but it's worth going after. Jesus said the world would know us by our love for each other, you know, Um, not the way we necessarily vote. Um, So there's kingdom. Then there's idolatry. Did I say idolatry next? Then there's idolatry, which is, you know, we talk a lot about this, so I'll be short, but just, you know, anytime something has um, too much control over your emotional well-being, Anytime your greatest nightmare is losing something that is temporary and earthly. Um, anytime your greatest joy is found in gaining something temporary or earthly. It doesn't mean that we should be passionate, engaged, and do our civic duty, and even speak up. We should. Um, but you have to ask yourself, what, what brought me most—so if you're happy with last week's outcome, what brought you more, more joy last week? The outcome of the election or the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself for your sins— and lives forever to make intercession for you, and has brought you into the family of God by no right of your own. And if you're discouraged and even depressed by last week, you know, to ask yourself the question, can the truth of the gospel um, sustain my joy in this season, even if I'm unhappy and struggling? And if, and if, and if you, if you can't find your way forward in this season without the right outcome, however you define it, then there might be a hard idolatry issue. And this could be being right. This could be winning. This could be power, control, um, all sorts of things. Even your definition of
0: justice can yeah. become a source of idolatry in your heart. Yeah. On either side, right? Your emotions oh, yeah. are the thermometer of your idols. Yeah. So whether you're super happy right now mm-hmm. or you're super depressed, it, it'll, it'll indicate something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then the last one is just the word identity. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. on, And um, years ago, I heard a teaching on how our, if we think of our identity as layers, think of ourselves standing in the middle of a huge target. And, and every layer of that circle as you go out is kind of the layers of who you are. And the the closest to the center is at the core. Who really are you? You know, And at the very wow. core, all of us were humans. And we're image bearers of God. And then as you move out, you know, there's your, there's your faith. And so for believers, for Christians, we're children of God, or, uh, or maybe if you're Jewish or Muslim, that that's something different for you, right? Um, Then you move out to like the relationships in your life. I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a dad, um, I'm a friend. Then you start to move into your uh, ethnicity, your nationality, your race, um, your citizenship. um, And then you start to move into things like your career and your, your hobbies and the teams that you like and the, and the demographic that you fit into. And somewhere in all of that is your politics, right? Mm. And so the person who was talking said, now imagine that that is a, a huge target, that that huge target is actually a, a grassy field or a garden that you're responsible to nourish. And whatever you nourish the most is, is, is where you really find your identity. Yeah. And whatever you don't nourish begins to suffer and die. And she said, you know, imagine you're standing in the middle of this circle and you're holding this hose of this water that can nourish that identity. She said, think of, you know, that water represents your energy and your efforts and your emotions and your resources and your conversations and what you do with your time. She said, most of us are, are, are firing that water out far away from our feet towards other things. So maybe some people, it's all about their career and all their energy goes towards their job title. Right. And that, or or maybe for some parents, it's their children. Uh, But for some people in the season, it's been politics, right? And so the point that she ended up making was when you do that, you look down at your feet and you realize like, uh, I'm dying on the inside. You Mm -hmm. know, my soul is dying. My relationship with God is dying because I'm so focused on that aspect of my identity and not living from the inside out. And... Uh, interestingly enough, if we're all at our core identity humans, when we stop feeding that aspect of us that we're humans and that we're image bearers of God, we start to dehumanize people who are different from us on the outer circles of identity. Right. And so I, you know, I tried to share that teaching in a service a couple of weeks ago. And, and I, of course I use the illustration, uh, a graphic to make it, um, easier to follow and track than probably just listening to this podcast. Um. But I think people really identified with that. So that's kind of the three paths in during the season I've tried to take as a pastor. The kingdom of God, heart idolatry,
0: and where does your deepest identity lie? Which yeah. is
1: to, which is connected closely, of course, to idolatry.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love those three things. And and I, I, I think, listen, if you're listening, you're a pastor and leader, let this season be um, a warning to us or a reminder to us that in a lot of ways, I think the church has, has failed. This is a symptom of our of our failure in some ways in discipling people mm-hmm. in in like you were talking about identity and idolatry and those things, but also in in lack of mission drive and focus. Like because I was thinking about this the other day with youth. Youth are dying to grab a hold of a cause, right? And there's a lot of causes and things that are important and they're valuable and it's like that's great. But it's almost as if they're void of Bec- they don't feel like they have a cause, so they're searching desperately to grab something to give their life to. When in real like we have the greatest cause, the greatest mission that you could ever you could ever imagine, but we've not shown that to them in a way that they realize it. And I think that's true of a lot of people. Like, you become obsessed with this stuff because you feel like this is my mission. It's yeah. so important. This is my cause. Yeah. Where if we really understood our gospel mission, we'd go yeah, stuff matters. It's important. But at the end of the day, like, my neighbor who disagrees with me politically, like, my mission to help them discover Jesus, forget it. It's way beyond mm-hmm. any th- any political allegiance or, or alliance, you know? Yeah. No, that's good. All right. Well, we're coming to the end here, and um, we got to we gotta bring some sunshine in the midst <laughs> of the dark clouds. And uh, you know our heart. We want to make better leaders and better eaters. Mm. And so we'll do a little portion called David's Eats, and we're going to jump into that now. Now, this is going to be a very specific question because I know last night you enjoyed a very rare delicacy. Yeah. You you did not share any with me. and yeah. It's fine. You know.
1: Yeah. My, my, so my cousin, he shipped us um, some Wagyu. Is that how you say it? Wagyu? Probably. Wagyu, I think. Wagyu New York strip steaks. And so Wagyu Ooh. is just a real high quality beef in the way it's raised and, um. Boy, I hope it's raised ethically. I guess I don't is know. Is that the,
0: <laughs> is that the one that's raised in like only certain? Oh no, that's Kobe beef. I'm yeah. Thinking about. There's
1: some level of beef where like the feet of the animal never touches the ground, which is seems pretty harsh <laughs> really? and unethical. Yeah, th- it might be a specific type of pork. Oh, geez. it's illegal, I think, in our country. Anyway. Um, yeah so it's just got a lot of marbling in it a real high fat content so when you cook it just like all that fat that you normally get on the outside of a steak it's just all through the steak and so I I reverse seared it and um cooked it uh just you know basically I like my steak rare and so do my daughters and so it was like I described it as this may not sound great but meaty butter it was so tender Meat and butter. so good and um yeah, I mean it's expensive. I mean, it's definitely an expensive cut of meat and something you would eat just for a special yeah. occasion. But my cousin decided to bless us, so we were we were blessed.
0: Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So if you get a chance, unless it's unethical, and then David, don't get mad at him because he didn't buy it for himself. It was know. it was met, sent to him. Ignorance is sweet, meaty bliss. <laughs> Ignorance is meat, <laughs> meat butter bliss. <laughs> hey everybody, this is the Multiply Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode.